Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for the College Football Inquirer with Dan Wetzel. I don't know that they're number one. I don't, I don't know that I pick them number one, but I get why everybody picked them number one. Pete Thimmel. Did Kirby Smart just fake punt again? <laughs> with his eyes, Pat Forty. Who are the two people that voted Oklahoma number one? I'm not saying it's not insane or anything like that, but, but, but who are they? Here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. Uh, welcome to the pod. Pat and I are dealing with jet lag. This thing could this could get ugly. <laughs> if either of us falls asleep about nine minutes in, you'll understand, I hope. You know how dedicated we are to you, valued listener. <laughs> That's how much. We're doing this thing half asleep. Willing to fight through. We are back. The Olympics are over. Pat had one glorious moment of his daughter winning a silver medal. I had zero glorious moments. <laughs> Glad it's over. I will not look fondly back on these Olympics, other than the fact that I may have to go to the next Olympics, which will be even more, which will be worse. <laughs> Winter be in, in Beijing. There yeah. you go. Yeah, so the Olympic beat is really looking up. <laughs> Pat and I did find alcohol the last night. Oh, boy. Did we? Uh, I want to thank my old classmate at the University of Massachusetts, Taro Tanaka, the great Taro Tanaka, with hooking up with an incredible sushi feast. I mean, the best I've ever had. Yeah, it was phenomenal. Just uh, uh, Slightly overindulgent, but phenomenal. Yeah, it was over overindulgent. We were overserved now in another country. <laughs> These bartenders around the world gang up on us. So let's just set the scene here. YouTube hadn't eaten a decent meal nor had a drink in two and a half weeks. And then you decided to just squeeze it all in into one night. What could have gone wrong? We, did, we didn't have much choice but to squeeze it in into one night. Well, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we... we 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 were a little over aggressive, and Dan's friend Taro was 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 certainly an instigator, an accelerator. <laughs> oh, like you needed it. Well, I, let's we, just blame Taro. Let's just blame Taro. <laughs> I think it's all his fault. We might have been easily led, but somebody had to do the leading, Pete, and he did. I mean, they weren't even supposed to serve alcohol in Tokyo. He's like, oh, I got a place. <laughs> Don't worry about that. Sure enough, highballs the highball. Yeah, I want the highball to become popular in America again. It's a good Whiskey, summer drink. Soda and ice. It's tremendous. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they needed to come in those those like big gulp <laughs> well, they servings. Came there in were trash like cans. 24, yeah. 24 ounce beer steins of highball. I mean, it was a lot. I think we they walk set in, that thing down. I was like, oh my gosh. We walk into this little place and they all start yelling about Taro. Nobody speaks English in the whole place. Taro speaks Japanese, so he's all set. 
or else I don't even know how you could order. I don't think we could do anything in there. And, and next thing you know, just mass quantities of sushi and alcohol just keep coming and coming. But, I mean, Pat had been drinking because he had the beer fridge that worked, unlike my crap hotel. <laughs> but I was been fairly sober, uh, actually completely sober. I'd maybe had about two drinks the whole time, and then I made up for it all at once. <laughs> Yeah, I never had more than two beers in a day until yes, we we accelerated that pace uh, at the end there. But so great time, quite, great sushi. Yeah, good times, good times. A lot of college football talk. Yep. Did you guys no, talk no, to no, Nihon University Phoenix college football team down the street? Talk, we talked to the the the, the Nippon Fighting Hams. Yes, there you go. That's we there, talked right? some hams. Yeah, no, we didn't get around to the to the Japanese football talk a whole lot. I'm afraid. Pac-12 ought to expand over there. Do you want to market? <laughs> Damn, so many people living there. Sure. Pick up a city with 36 million people in it. <laughs> that, was, that, that was Larry Scott's problem. He was so invested in Asia that he ignored America. He was. He was trying Asia. Yeah, it didn't work out. Didn't plan out. We're back, baby. AP poll. No, uh, USA Today coaches poll. Always a, <laughs> always one of the top two major polls. <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't get to see the coaches' ballots to the end because I'd like to see right. them right now. Yeah. They released their final ballot, but not the early one. Who are the two people that voted Oklahoma number one? I'm not saying it's not insane or anything like that, but 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 who are they? I'd just like to know. Who picked them? Nobody's playing Alabama. Yeah. Or maybe it is. That's the <laughs> that's that's the thing. Yeah. Right? How do we no Pac 12 team until Oregon at 12? Wow. Right. SC at 14. Huh? Cincinnati is at 10. Well, Cincinnati gets games against number seven, Notre Dame and number 17, Indiana, Cincinnati. I mean, I know at the end they could win every game, 222 to zero. And at the end, they'd somehow magically end a fifth, but <laughs> like they're positioned here. If, if you went by logic, yep. Cincinnati's right there. So in all the let great me start inexplicable shaftings in the history of college sports. The shafting of Cincinnati last year was one of the worst of all time. Just, oh yeah. They just were like, nope, these two lost teams are suddenly better than you. Cause, oh my God, you might make the playoffs. Well, we can't <laughs> let that happen. Like it was just pure naked greed. <laughs> it was, it was, it was college sports at its most bare essence. And they didn't even fake it. Nope. They didn't even fake no. it and nope. put them like five. They were just like out of here. Yeah. yeah. I think that the, the year TCU is ranked third, wins its final game 55 to three and magically bounces to six. <laughs> what exactly would you see in this last week? That made, oh, no, those guys are nearly as good as we thought they were last week. Yeah. You beat you've won 55 to three. You're out of here. That was an all-time. That's a tough one. That's a tough one to explain because we start anew every week. We start anew. Oh, yeah. yeah. They got bailed out of that one because the team they elevated was Ohio State who went on to win the national title. But what they did to TCU was bad. What they did to Cincinnati, absolutely. It was incredible. I, they, they just decided that Iowa State, which lost its opener by, what, 16 points to Louisiana Lafayette? Needed to go ahead of undefeated Cincinnati at the end. That was that was a classic. But I, they're they're tenth. I, I think you can argue they're underrated at ten. But, oh, I but agree. At, at least at let's 10, go They it. are in position. They've got a chance. Let's go through it. Number yeah. one, Alabama Crimson Tide got mm -hmm. all but two votes for number one. That surprises me. I don't know that they're number one. I I don't know that I pick them number one, but I get why everybody picked them number one. They they should not be an overwhelming number one like that. 
Uh, it surprises me. This alone will I make. This is how how used to Alabama fans are to only hearing. Like I, I will get ripped for that comment. <laughs> Hater, you hey, hate the tide. Keep your rap poison off this podcast. Keep this rap. I don't yeah. want your rap poison. Right? You shouldn't be an <laughs> overwhelming number one when you don't have a quarterback and all that. I mean, that's all I'm saying. Six, they have three returning starters on offense. Yes, three returning starters on offense. A lot of, lot of good, lot of good football players. Lack of imagination out there. Not someone else not picking anyone other than Alabama. Oklahoma, I predicted they'd be the bell of the offseason with the big uh, yep. whatever. What would they win? Sugar Bowl or some bowl? Uh, they, they had yeah, a big they bowl. Destroyed Florida in the bowl game. Yeah. Florida, half of Florida. Dan started mm. at slot for Florida in that game. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Clemson's number two. They have zero um, first place votes. So I wouldn't put them there. I'd put Georgia, I think, is the favorite in that opening weekend game. So I would have put Georgia, if not one, two. Probably would have voted Georgia number one. That's who I'd vote number one if I was Me voting. too, actually. I would put Georgia. I mean, and I know, but if we're looking if if you're, we're looking at what this season has, yeah. it should be Georgia. I just, I, I've got the mental block. I mean, I think on paper, Georgia is probably the most talented. It has the best combination of talent and experience. But I've got the mental block because every year they find one game to absolutely not show up. Did Kirby Smart just fake punt again? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Clemson's two. Oklahoma is three. Number four is Ohio State. Seems about right to me. Any any objections to either of those two? Nope. It's got to be around there. Georgia is five. Underrated as far as I'm concerned. Oh, wow. Should Georgia go to one if they beat Clemson? That's Yeah, they should go to number one if they beat Clemson. I think so, too. Sure. 100%. 100%. Whoever wins that game should be number one. If you're doing this for real, yeah. Like, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But will they? You know. Right. Who's Alabama opening with? They play somebody, don't they? Miami. They play Miami, and yeah. Miami's pretty good. I yeah. mean, Miami's checking it at 16th. So, yeah. all right. Number six is uh, Texas A&M. Fine with that. That's probably where probably could end up. Number seven, Notre Dame. I think that's over. I, I, I would... That to me is too high. Yep. I agree. But not much. Probably no. should finish. Uh, I'd, yeah, put, I'd maybe drop them a little. I'd put Notre Dame somewhere in like 10 to 13, probably, something like okay. that. I like them better than I would put Iowa State ahead of them because They're of eight, what, yeah. they, what yeah. they have coming back. I would keep them ahead of Carolina because they beat Carolina. Again, they pulled away in the fourth quarter, but they did beat them head to head pretty handily last year. Notre Dame is good where Notre Dame is going to be good, right? They have the best tight end room in the country, period. They have a very good offensive line. I was there for a spring practice. The The staff there is unbelievably optimistic about a, uh, a, about a freshman, Blake Fisher, who's from Indianapolis, who could end up starting at left tackle from day one there as a true freshman, which is a pretty astounding accomplishment considering – like, they've pretty much okay. had a first-round pick at left tackle Brian Kelly's entire tenure. And then they have another O-line transfer from Marshall, who was an All-American, who's going to come in. So I think Notre Dame is going to be Notre Dame up front. Is it like super elite McGlinchey Nelson? Probably not. But it's in the it's in the same neighborhood, which is a good neighborhood. Tight end room mixes well with Jack Cohn's skill set, the sort of quintessential Bollinger-esque Wisconsin game manager. So I, I think that they'll be able to use the tight end quite a bit. And, you know, their hope is that Kevin Austin becomes the receiver they thought he was. And that that still is going to be a key dynamic, whether that offense takes off. So there are lots to replace on defense. 
no guarantee Marcus Freeman's going to be what Clark Lee was, right? Clark Lee had two, three undefeated regular seasons. There's some ambiguity there, but I think, yeah, I think they're maybe, maybe a pinch high, but not too much. Jack Cohen's the Wisconsin, uh, he started 18 games for Wisconsin. He transfers in, should take over for Ian Book, who probably is under underappreciated. All right, Ohio, Iowa State is eight. I think we all would say maybe move them up. I don't, I mean, to me, this comes down to, can they split and or beat the uh Sooners twice uh, other yep. than that I see him as a favorite I think yeah. they're getting disrespected it's like someone saying that uh uh you know West Des Moines water is better than Ames it's just not true <laughs> <laughs> there is a there is a pronounced lack of respect for drinking water university uh <laughs> no doubt about it I mean to me like Broad strokes, the top five of the top five. I would have Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Georgia in some combination. You can put them however you want. I wouldn't argue necessarily. Then I think there's a gap. But then the gap to me, it starts with Cincinnati and Iowa State, probably that next group. And I would put Cincinnati ahead of them because I think they should have been ahead of them last year, frankly. But Iowa State returns everything from last year, including Matt Campbell, who had a chance to leave, and some other players who had a chance to leave and did not. So... Very much like what the Cyclones are bringing, bringing to the table. They got to go to Norman in late November. And then, yes, as Dan alluded to, there could be a, a rematch in a Big 12 title game. Carolina is nine. Cincinnati is 10. As we mentioned, Cincinnati's going to get their chance at Notre Dame and Indiana, who's uh, like 14. Or no, what are they? They're 16 or something. They're 17. They're in there. We'll get to them. So Cincinnati's got their shot. I, I, I just wonder, like, is there a high enough? Is this high enough? We know they'll screw them at the end. Okay, we know that. <laughs> but like, how bad will the screw job be? Are they high enough to where people are actually like, you know, you're really screwing them? <laughs> and I know this is a different poll than the other poll, but if Cincinnati starts at 10 in the USA Today coaches poll and they go out and beat Notre Dame and they beat Indiana, where are they ranked then? Are they four? Are they three? Like, you know, and then at what point does that committee sit there and camp go, what, Cincinnati? What, 11? We got them. Uh, <laughs> like, at what point? Yeah, no, that that's the that's going to be one of the absolute keys to the season if Cincinnati can take care of business. They've got the opportunity. Both those games are on the road, but it's at Indiana. Even with even though Indiana's better, that's not a difficult home environment. They'll bring a ton of fans over yeah, to Cincinnati. Cincy. It's two yeah. hours away. Then you got to go at Notre Dame. Those two games are back to back, but there's an off week in between. It's set up if Cincinnati's good enough. You know, we'll see if they're good enough. Uh, but they've got a chance here. And if they win both of those games and they are undefeated through that point, and I think the Notre Dame game is October second, they better be in the top three. Do you think they have? And we know we have a bunch of fall, college football playoff committee members who listen to our podcast and occasionally critique us on text message about it. Do you think they have like the side queso like uh, quorum where they go aside and say, "All right, how are we going to screw over Cincinnati this week? Pass the guacamole," <laughs> and then they like go and like drink their margaritas at that <laughs> Dallas uh, you know resort where they stay and, and and do that. Like I think Cincinnati is an excellent football team. My real primary concern is that left tackle. Um, they lost James Hudson early to the NFL draft. He's a Michigan transfer. He's a great player. And that's like, from spending some time there this spring, that was really the, the, the big concern. They've got an NFL tight end. They're better at receiver than they've been at any point during Luke Fickle's time there. They're loaded at tailback. And Desmond Ritter, from talking to some scouts uh, for a story this week, really could 
could end up being like a, a first round pick. He needs to develop and he needs to grow and show and, and they will open up the pass game. Mike Denbrock and Gino Gadouli, the two uh, the two OCs there, um, the two big offensive coaches, they have sort of said that the Cincinnati offense has kind of been like an evolution to, uh, to, to this year. But Alec Pierce, who was hurt a lot last year, is, uh, is, is going to be a pretty high-end receiver. Like the, the talent is there for Cincinnati. And I think they can compete in, in both those games, Indiana and uh, Indiana and Notre Dame. And if they don't start in the top four after that, but the problem is they'll just like jump them. And, and there, there are so many ways to screw Cincinnati. Like it's unbelievable. Sure. I mean, sure. my guess is they don't do it. They don't go undefeated. It's very hard to go mm-hmm. undefeated. Okay. A lot of years, Alabama doesn't do it. Clemson doesn't do it. Very difficult. So my guess is they don't, but. Even if they do, what are they going to do? They're going to like try to bribe the committee by sending like that terrible skyline chili down there. That thing will get brushed aside (laughs) by the queso. (laughs) They'll be like, no, you just insulted us. Another spot down for you. And you're 11 now. Take that. Skyline chili would not go well with the jalapeno cream corn at the uh, grapevine, uh, whatever the hell that thing is. Florida is 11. Oregon, 12. Pac-12 gets only somebody at number 12. This is your champion, Pac-12 champ coming in at 12. I can do the, and, and this actually lines up perfectly. I can do the uh, the playoff if they we had the good playoff, which we don't want because we'd prefer to just blow up leagues and create super, like, we don't want this. <laughs> we want the bad playoff, but the good playoff would be this. Alabama would face the winner of Iowa uh, UNC at Iowa State, home game in Ames. Got to make it at night. Perfect. Home game in Ames for the playoff. Yeah. Bring it. Imagine how awesome that'd be. Winner gets Bama. Uh, Notre Dame Cincy rematch. Mm. Winner gets Clemson. Mm -hmm. Georgia versus Oregon at the hedges. Uh, Winner gets Ohio State. Georgia, Ohio State. Imagine if these second rounds are home, too. Of course, we don't want home games. I'm sorry. We'll put these at the the, uh, Blue Bonnet Bowl and the uh, Shreveport Bowl. (laughs) Duke's Much better, mail, baby. I definitely do not want to see the Ducks come to Georgia. That would be no fun at all. Yeah, let's go to downtown Atlanta. Woohoo. <laughs> Texas A&M would host Florida. Uh, winner gets Oklahoma. Ooh, that A&M-Oklahoma game would be spicy. Yes, it would. It'd be spicy. Should the Pac-12 get uh, some respect, the Ducks open versus Fresno State on the Pac-12 network, so no one's going to be able to watch them, but... If they did, how good are these guys? I mean, Anthony Brown's supposed to be the QB. Yeah, that's a question. I mean, the the you know the reviews have been good, but the reviews are always good. Uh, you know, he was a he was a okay serviceable quarterback at Boston College. Tyler Shuff had been the guy. He transfers out. Is Anthony Brown a you know win the conference kind of level quarterback we'll we'll find out they've got really good running backs uh their defense they've got some stars on defense you know i i like their team i i still think you know and now i may be an absolute sucker here but i think usc should be the best team in the pac12 uh we'll see if if they can actually run the ball they had gone graham harrell gone almost straight air raid where they were just like throw 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 we have no running game we don't care We'll see if that changes. They bring in Keontae Ingram, the uh, transfer from Texas at running back, uh, and maybe balance that out a little bit. But I, I kind of like USC more than I like Oregon there. And I like one of those teams to be in the top 10. I think 12 is too low for a top-ranked Pac-12 team. Trojans are 14. Yeah. So it's 
two seasons ago, this, the year he got hurt in his final year to start at Boston College. And I go once a summer over to, to camp at BC because I live in Boston. And uh, I'm standing there watching camp. This is Adazio's last year. And the day I was there, Urban Meyer and his son Nate were there. Nate's actually a, a senior walk-on at Cincinnati. Um, and he's going to be a coach. So Urban, they went to West Point, a couple other places, and stopped by. So anyway, stand there. I'm standing with uh, Jason Baum, the BCSID, watching practice. Pretty, pretty normal as things go. And Urban's probably like 20 yards away. And he looks at me and he points. He's like, come here. And so I like walk over. And he's like, what am I missing? And I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, this quarterback. He's like, he's like Alex Smith. He's as talented as a guy as I've seen in college. What, what's, what's missing here? What's wrong? And I was like, Anthony Brown? Like, Anthony Brown's a good quarterback. I, I know Anthony Brown. I like Anthony Brown a lot. But I was like, I just had never thought of him as a raw, talented quarterback. And again, Urban Meyer knows a lot more about quarterbacks than, than, than I ever will, will, will dream of knowing. And so I explained sort of why Anthony Brown had, you know, modest statistics. And he was a good starting quarterback. But he was no, by no means the top half of the ACC starter. Went through his whole thing. And then I, like, walked away. And I was just like, it's the quarterback position is like the hardest thing to decipher in, in, in sports, right? And so much of it has to do with coaching. And I was like, Urban Wire watched Anthony Brown for a half an hour and thought he was like a first round pick. And so I will just be, I'm, I'm telling this story. I like Anthony Brown a lot. I like it personally. And it's just, it, is Joe Moorhead the guy to tease that out of him? Now, look, he barely played last year. And then he came in on the Rose Bowl. Uh, was it the Rose Bowl or the Pac-12 title game? And scored two uh, touchdowns. Pac-12 title game. Yeah, came, and came in and like scored, and they used him in short yardage. Uh, Tyler Shuck had kind of got the yips at a certain point, and they put him in. And he's old, right? So he's going to, you know. But I just will be really curious. Joe Moorhead did wonders for the Penn State program. You know, he was an awesome coach for Trace McSorley, Saquon Barkley. Plant that seed that, you know, one day, standing at BC practice, minding my own business, Fox analyst Urban Meyer was like, this kid is un- like couldn't stop raving about him, and it was just counter to the years of solid but unspectacular empirical evidence that Anthony Brown had given us. So I'm on the Anthony Brown bandwagon. Um, he's a Jersey kid. I like started, it. Started started a bunch it. of games. If he rips it up this year, just remember that little uh, that little vignette from a few Augusts ago. No reason for Urban to say that either, because you got everything Urban right. says. You have to go. What's the angle? So what was his angle other than was he trying to get an honest opinion from Urban Meyer? All right. Yeah, it was. It you was never know. It was just explained to me why he's not like a Heisman candidate. And I was like, well, you know, they run the ball a lot. <laughs> you know, uh, they you know, they haven't had a receiver drafted at BC since I believe yeah. 1987. He wasn't thrown <laughs> to the Buckeyes receiving room there. Correct. Correct. So like. <laughs> Like, I, was it Gerard Phelan? Was he the last? It guy? wasn't. It was. I think it was some guy named like Kelvin <laughs> Martin. It was pretty forgettable. But I mean, that's a long time. Like, you think about all the schools. Some very smart staff person come up with this. How many colleges have had wide receivers drafted since 1987? Like every Even direction of Arkansas, Utah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just a lot of wide receivers have been drafted since 1987. So. Anyway, that's my uh, that's my Anthony Brown story. I'm uh, I, I have a soft spot for him from getting to know him up at BC. I'm rooting for him, and I just think there is there's a raw, lot of raw talent there. Joe Moorhead's as talented an offensive mind as we've seen in college football the last ten years. So let's hope there's a collision of great skill around him and a creative scheme where he can uh, get that teased out. All right, go Ducks. The 
mathematical middle of a top 25 is either 12 or 13, right? So if we're rounding up, it's 13. So where else would you put LSU, which could damn win the whole thing or, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> or lose them all? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> eh, I got nowhere to put LSU. Let's put them in the middle. That way I won't look too dumb one way or the other. <laughs> I got no idea. Could be wild. We got all sorts of new. We expect to have Miles Brennan breaks his arm. Now you got Max Johnson, likely the starting QB. Uh, you always have talent. Derek Stingley Jr. still there. I mean, there's a lot of players. It's LSU. You also got Coach O. Man hits on 17s, and sometimes it works out, and sometimes it doesn't. I don't know. So LSU, first game at, at UCLA is going to be fascinating. Thoughts on the uh, on the Tigers at 13, Pat? They, I agree with you that they could be all over the spectrum in terms of how they actually perform. The bottom line is they do have talent. We know that. They always do. But is it operational talent? They they changed the coaching staff, which they needed to do. They've gone back to trying to have a Joe Brady type uh, offense, where you're going to you know chuck it and move really fast and and do all those things that they did with Joe Burrow, but without Joe Burrow, Max Johnson showed some stuff. Brad Johnson's son, former NFL quarterback, uh, he was good, really good when they upset Florida. Uh, so he's got some ability, but that, boy, that's also a very thin position now because they had T.J. Finley who transferred. Brennan is hurt. You know, theoretically, Brennan could be back in a couple of months, I guess. But still, that position is pretty thin at the moment. They had an offensive lineman transfer to Kentucky. They had Eric Gilbert transfer to Georgia. So there's been a little bit of churn there. I, I, I ex- certainly expect them to be better than the 5-5, five and five, the really ugly, weird, wild 5-5 five and five they were last year. But I, I still don't – I see them as, at best, the third-best team in the SEC West. They were a shoestring away, a literal shoestring away <laughs> from a losing season last year. And they have a crew of new play callers who really haven't called plays. I think somewhere in Durante Jones' past, it, it is maybe Bowie State or something, he's called the defense. And he's obviously an established NFL guy. Uh, I'll be curious – Week one at the Rose Bowl, Sully not in attendance, although they did just happen to pass the rule to sell alcohol at the Rose Bowl for UCLA home games. Is it a coincidence with the crew from Baton Rouge coming to town that that <laughs> Martin Jarman magically changed that uh, that, that, that yeah. policy? Uh, yeah, there's $500,000 of game day revenue on the first game. Yeah, they could build another Rose Bowl with the amount of beer that they sell. <laughs> but it'll be it'll be fascinating because you have Chip Kelly, one of the most accomplished and established offensive minds in college football in the last 15 years with DTR back playing quarterback. He was unavailable early uh early at UCLA camp, but he's expected to be back playing for the uh playing for the Bruins. It's, you know, one of the most accomplished quarterbacks in the Pac-12. Like if things go sideways a quarter and a half in in the Rose Bowl, How will LSU respond? It still, to me, boils down to a coach who doesn't have a huge hand in strategy, and there are a bunch of questions about the new faces putting together the strategy. You're going to have an inexperienced quarterback, but look, they have oodles of talent. I'm not going to sit here and tell you they don't have talent at tailback and receiver and on defense in the trenches. I mean, they have oodles of talent, Uh, but that's never really been the issue at LSU. You know, like I mean, always had players. Yeah, so I just I think it'll be fascinating how that program responds to adversity. And I mean, you can't, when you, when you discuss LSU this year in the micro, you can't overlook the macro of what's happening at that school and and at that university. And you cannot underestimate 
the amount of time and energy it's taken away from football for Ed Orgeron and others on that staff to deal with campus, the campus issues, which are significant, searing, and important. What Ed Orgeron has right now is a new president, right? And when we get new bosses, there's sometimes change and there's enough happening at LSU off of the field where I don't think you can discount what's happened and been alleged there and that impacting the season in some way. This is LSU, so we'll see whether <laughs> anything matters. Uh, we had USC at 14. I don't want to get bogged down too much in the middle. Uh, I think we all agree I would have them higher, but we'll see. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Wisconsin's 15. Fascinating thing about Wisconsin is their first three of their first four games are Penn State, Notre Dame, and Chicago, and then Michigan. You know, uh, could win them all. I could probably lose them all. Uh, who knows? That's a interesting three. Obviously, you like where the games are being played, but um, we're going to know pretty early what kind of season Wisconsin will have. Well, th- one of the interesting things the Big Ten has done with the schedule is they have put a lot of their teams in challenging positions early. They've they've changed things up, but we've got, like you said, Penn State, Wisconsin opening weekend, Indiana, Iowa opening weekend, Nebraska, Illinois week zero. So they've got conference games early, Ohio State, Minnesota, uh, that are really going to, you know, they can either give teams a big boost up or they can kind of knock them back uh, right away. And we'll see uh, how this all works out. All right. 16 is Miami, Florida. They start at Alabama. I think all of us think this program is on the upswing. It's in Atlanta. We just said this isn't necessarily the, I know they're number one with a bullet in this poll, but if there's ever a shot to get Bama, here you go. Can a Miami do it uh, with De'Ara King? We would know very quickly on how good they would be. But this would be a huge game for uh, for for the Hurricanes. That uh, they, it, it really like on paper, Alabama never loses this neutral season opener, and they usually win by like four touchdowns. But this might be the one where they better be ready. They tend to be ready. They tend to show up. But this one on paper looks uh, like a potential trap. So I did a column on super seniors. Uh, last week on Yahoo and Miami has 19 returning starters and they will have a 24 year old quarterback. Dear King will be 24 years old on opening day. His birthday's in August. Happy birthday, Derek. There's a, there's a tension now, like the middle class and the upper middle class in college football is going to be very bloated with 14% more according to Bill Conley returning production. I mean, everybody's got everybody back. And to me, this game is the test of whether everybody having everybody back brings chaos to the top. There will be more upsets in the sport. There will be more group of five upsets in the sport. Those teams are just going to be older and more prepared to do it. But whether that actually catches the Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama level remains to be seen. But this will be a good little window to me into that, is this a litmus for the super senior, for the veteran, for the returning starter? If Miami puts up a fight or pulls the upset, we could have a 2007-esque season in college football. That was a good story Pete had. You can find it uh, on Yahoo Sports about the super senior. That was fascinating. And this is this is the game. Uh, I, I, my Miami's got everybody. And and uh, Alabama's got raw talent. But they got a whole bunch of, a lot of guys walking out for their first start, first game, all of that. All right, 17 is Indiana. Michael Penix is... Uh, I believe back. He'll be ready for for week one. They're saying it so far. Uh, which tours is ACL in November. Yeah, that's yeah. obviously huge. 
Hope don't rush them back. Iowa is 18 where they are every year. I believe that's their, <laughs> I think it's in the USA Today by co uh, code of honor or something. You have to have <laughs> Iowa. It's 18. Texas is 19, of course. Longhorns oh, are back. There you there go. There go, baby. Horns are back. Uh, fascinating with them. They they open with Louisiana Lafayette, which we have at, uh, or just Louisiana now, they call themselves. You'll always be Louisiana Lafayette to me. Number 23, UL. So we will see what Sark has got. That's not going to be interesting. I think their QB situation is not determined yet. Casey Thompson and Hudson Card, I believe, are fighting for the job. All right, we'll see who that gets it. It's going to got to be ready. Arkansas waiting. Number 20, Penn State. There's a team that had a horrible season last year, but should be better. I mean, it's just, but again, they're, they're going, um, they're opening with at Wisconsin right off the bat. So no, no rest there. What do we got there? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting one. They, I think if anybody deserves a COVID mulligan, it's probably Penn State. You know, they had Micah Parsons up and out and then they had, a ton of running back injuries, uh, and they just never got it together. I think they started 0-4, 0-5 maybe even, uh, and you know before they regrouped. So I think that's one of those places you can almost toss that out. They made a coaching change again at uh, offensive coordinator. Sean Clifford never meshed with uh, Kirk Chiraca, so they're trying again there and see if they can get more out of Clifford. But I, I expect them to be much, much better than they were last year. But the schedule's harder. At Wisconsin, they get Ball State. They get Auburn visits. They play Villanova. Uh, Jay Wright now doubling up as the football coach. I don't. <laughs> don't discount MAC champion Ball State, who has everybody I back. I know. Everybody, everybody back. back. They, everybody. I mean, the water boys are yeah. back. The managers are back. Drew yeah. Plitt's back at quarterback. They got a couple transfers. I'm not saying Ball State's going to win, but if it's 17-14 in the second half, like that's not surprising. Yeah, yeah. bet the first half on that one. Um, yep. I will say this though, Wisconsin, you play Wisconsin, you feel it the next day. Yes. Oh yeah. A and then you're sitting there going, we got Auburn coming big Saturday night game and it's easy to overlook ball state. And I know it's going to, I can see the, um, the, the tweet ball state, ball state, ball, oh, yeah. James Franklin sends out, but do they buy it right after that? This, they get the Villanova breather. Uh, then you got Indiana and at Iowa, like, as, yeah, buckle yeah. up. Yep. Buckle up, Lions. They are recruiting like crazy, though. They are. They're yeah, really doing they are. 2022 class it. is shaping up to be huge. Yeah. Really good recruiting. So, uh, but yeah, there's a lot happening there. Their season starts very, very tricky. It ends a little easier, um, but we'll see. So that that's going to, I can't wait, man. We're getting into like, yeah. like good things are happening. It's going to be awesome. Like we're starting. Yeah. Like I'm, you can see it. All right. Coming off a vaunted three and one season, Washington is a 21. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Lake, the only coach to ever start his career three and one. Yeah, he had a, he had a great three win season. <laughs> Actually, yeah. was that his first year? Was that even? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Three and one career. Uh, I have no idea. I don't know what you can make out of a three and one season. Twenty uh, one's a nice spot. You're like, yeah, probably pretty good. Uh, they open with Montana. I will uh, say, right. I, I think they can win the Pac-12 North, but. We'll see as again off of that three and one season, which, you know, probably yeah, the 1912 coach H.A. Spider Mills or something, you know, was probably three and one as well. In his right. Debut. They, but. they played like Tacoma YMCA in like week two or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I just I just had a picture of Pat like sitting in some like Japanese handball venue with Phil Steele out, like not paying attention to the proceedings, like looking at Washington's out of conference schedule and like their guard depth and reading like obscure Phil Steele stats about night games on grass. <laughs> that say, absolutely was, happened was, with me. It was a 13 oh hour plane flight back and I put it to good use with Phil Steele. Let me tell oh, you. Oh, man. I, I don't want to admit how much college football and NFL content I read while while supposedly covering Olympic events. <laughs> just literally, just the game is on. Whatever con- event I am supposedly watching, and I'm sitting there reading through <laughs> articles. Uh, all right. The Mullets, 22. Oklahoma State. Eh, sounds about right to me. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, I don't know how you could be too, maybe a little better. Probably all right. We said Lafayette, Louisiana Lafayette is 23. Coastal Carolina is 24. They, uh, they got a whole bunch of super seniors, oh, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Here's your, your classic double standard polling, uh, which, I, I mean, I can't say I would have necessarily done it radically different myself. But Coastal Carolina and Iowa State, everyone back, everyone stayed, coach stayed, all in it together off of a great season. One of them's... Eighth, no, ninth, yeah, eighth, and the other one's 24th. Why? Yeah, because one of them's one. in the Big 12 and the other's in the Sun Belt. There you go. Yeah, they should be mm-hmm. higher. Yeah. Certainly should be higher than, I mean, Washington went three and one. I, Texas, <laughs> come on. Yeah. I, I mean, can't I, wait for like, Coastal to play Kansas on that Friday night and just beat them. Uh, oh, wrong. Just <laughs> absolutely drill them. Uh, Mississippi comes in 25th. I think people just put this, this is entertainment value. Yeah. It's like, there's like the first things people did was with Alabama one and Mississippi 25. And <laughs> yes. they went in the middle. Uh, now Utah's 26th, Northwestern 27th, Arizona state. If they have any coaches not suspended, um, will be 28. Uh, Auburn Liberty underrated. Mm-hmm. Auburn. Yeah, who knows? Sleep on Liberty. B- yeah. BYU TCU Michigan. I mean, they should make the top 25, I guess. But Didn't you take the over on Michigan's win total, Dan? I did. I, I yeah. They should make the top 25, but I don't know how you rank them right now. Like, that is a name. I'm ranking them just out of name. If you put the 30 votes they got, that's just Michigan. Yeah. I mean, they, if you're looking at what they're coming in at, you, I, I think they should. But anyway, Central Florida, NC State, Boise State. We're getting down to the flotsam jetsam section of uh, Pete. <laughs> My favorite. Kentucky. San Jose State, Army, Vatek, Missouri. I mean, everybody got a vote in this thing, man. Damn UCLA, near. Did Ball State get Tulsa. any votes? Ball State got five. Okay, because they, they finished got, they should have had more last year. Yeah, they should have had more. Uh, Cal got one. Florida State got one. Marshall got one. And Stanford got one. How do you give Stanford a vote? Stanford hey, actually three had, and one an argument last year. for Stanford this year. They went three and one. Mighty three Did and they? one. Yeah. Oh, I thought they had a losing season. No. All right. No. My bad. Don't they have Tanner McKee going in at quarterback, Pat? The like the twenty-two-year-old Mormon. I'm making up his name. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 He's a good-looking um, kid. I, I saw him in the high school circuit. Like he's he's you know he could. Yeah. And it, it comes down to the line. Like here's the thing about Stanford. It's like the old Michigan State teams with Antonio. If they can beat you at the point of attack, they're going to beat you. If they can't, they're going to be mediocre. All right. Let's get to this. A sad day, although. Uh, look, you get 91 or 92 years. Is he 91? Bobby Bowden? 91. 91. Uh, let's celebrate it. Uh, that is that is a life well lived. 
great coach uh, at Florida State, West Virginia be- before that. I don't think any of us knew uh, Bobby Bowden extremely well. I covered some of his games. I grew up watching him. Incredibly colorful figure. Obviously, his teams were tremendous. Uh, love those seminal clubs. Love the loved everything about him. The swagger, the way he let players be players. Uh, you know, if he had a field goal kicker, good the good lord, yeah. what he would have done. Yeah. Top five team for fourteen straight seasons. Was an independent, like played everywhere. So many great players, uh, and and really one of the nicest. Uh, guys, at least to the media, you know, you never know, but man, you can't fake it for 91 years, can you? Like, <laughs> right. if he <laughs> if he wasn't a good dude and he was faking it, he did a heck of a job. I did enjoy, I just loved the way he talked. I remember covering a Miami-Florida State game down the old, old Orange Bowl and Florida State won, and he came in and he just... He just starts talking and he's like, I tell you, it's unbelievable beating these guys. I got to beat these guys every year. It's hard. It's hard to do. Hey, <laughs> hard to beat Miami. And uh, going on, just a, a great figure. 357 wins, second all time in major college football behind Joe Gagliardi, the, that coach up in Minnesota, Joe Pa, and Eddie Robinson overall in the uh, all time winning ranks again i didn't spend a lot a ton of time around him whenever i did it was great because he was so accessible and accommodating and even i remember one time going down there from the courier journal in louisville kentucky because they were going to play a big game against university of louisville and he sure made time for me then uh you know he that's it he was available he was very funny self-deprecating i the one thing i put in my column i I just loved this Uh, in 1993 before they won their first national championship they were playing nebraska in the orange bowl and they were favored and everybody you know it's like bobby's finally going to win and the day before they do the press conference with the you know the head coaches and he gets asked for the nine millionth time you know will this you know fulfill your legacy or whatever if you finally win a national championship and his answer (laughs) he said well let me, let me ask you guys this now. Uh, what's the biggest What's the biggest prize in y'all's profession? Is it the Pulitzer? And uh, we all kind of start <laughs> laughing. But before anybody could before anybody could answer, George Vesey from the New York Times just drolly responds, "Marriott points," and that just brought the room down. It's hilarious, but true story right there. Yeah, Bowden's yeah Bowden's point that he got back to was you know will you guys still be happy with your careers without if you don't want a Pulitzer Prize? And like we're all like, yeah. And so I think that was, you know, how he was, that he never viewed it that, like, I have to win a national title. Did he want to win it? Yes. And then how good did he feel after winning not one but two? Very good. But, I, you know, I don't think that he was one of those people that sat around, you know, making himself haunted and miserable if he didn't get those kicks to go through, uh, like they did a couple years against Miami. So... I, I said in the column, like the last of the Southern charmers, you know, the last of those guys that just had that way of making ingratiating himself with everybody and disarming everybody. Dabo's got a little bit of that, but Dabo also has said enough things that he's become a little more of a lightning rod guy. There's some people that hate him. There's some people that like him. Uh, th- there's none of that feeling about Bobby Bowden. I just think there was universal warm feelings about him. There was a little bit of controversy sometimes with him, but I agree. One thing I'll let you get to it, Pete. Um, he used to do, if you came to a game on Saturday, he appreciated that it wasn't easy to get to Tallahassee. Okay. This is not midtown Manhattan. You got there, came to a game the next morning. He'd meet with the media that came. Yep. To, to kind of, 
you know, and they try to get a feature out of it, try to promote his players, try to promote the school. It was very that school is not really smart. Was a young school. It used to be an yes. all all women's school, and then became and and did a lot for the. He would always be promoting that university. I always thought that was a really nice thing to do. Uh, obviously, I'm in the media, but just that little bit of like, hey, I'll take a half an hour on Sunday morning to to help out. And sometimes it would go longer than that because he liked to talk. But I'm going to promote my school, not just, uh, you know, these I mean, these, so these guys kind of breeze in on after the game and they three quotes from the coach and they're gone. They're too busy for everybody. Uh, Bobby Bowden was about promoting his players and promoting his school and promoting Tallahassee and promoting all sorts of stuff. That was smart, not only for the national media, but he knew too, like, hey, the guys are going to come up from Miami and from Fort Lauderdale and Orlando and Tampa. They're spending the night because they're not driving back. So I've got them for two days. We've got them for two stories and they're going to be happy to come back to Florida State because of the access. Yeah. And that's a competitive media market, right? Like at that moment, you wanted to be in the Miami Herald and the Orlando Sentinel. And I mean, yeah, Bobby Bowden. TV had, too. Yeah. And, 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 you know, if you had the New York Times, USA Today and some of these other places, uh, Yahoo, et cetera, there. You 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 give them material, and it, it was I, I think a very wise way. I, I wrote in the column I wrote on Bowden that he was the most transformational figure in that university's history. I mean, he took that from my local it wasn't a women's college when he got there, but it was a local college and made it a national brand. You say Florida State to anybody, they're giving you the chop. They know exactly what Florida State is, and you you can't. There aren't you know, Shevsky's been like that to for Duke. Bayheim's been like that for Syracuse. Like there are, you know, a dozen of those guys maybe in college athletics that have just taken the whole university and put it in a different uh, in, in a different paradigm. And I'm missing people and there's others. But I didn't know Bowden that well. Right around when I started covering nationals, the same year as Pat in 04, they started to backslide a little bit there. I guess my best memory from going to Tallahassee to see him was it was November of 2008. And Myron Roll was about to become a Rhodes Scholar. Remember the game at Maryland where he showed up at halftime? He flew private. He won the thing. And then he flew there and did that. So I went like the week before to sort of write the, the, the preview to that. I remember like, going to practice and he was like up in a tower. And he clearly like it, it was a little bit like when you went and saw Paterno in, in the twilight there. You could tell like there was more of a figurehead than it was like actual engagement with uh, with guys. But I remember he just pulled up on a, on a golf cart, sat down. I never, you know, I didn't, he didn't know me from Adam. And uh, I'll never forget what he said about what he was, what he said about Myron. He said, in my 55 years doing this, I've never had one quite like him. And I was like, well, if you've been around 55 <laughs> years and you haven't had one quite <laughs> like Myron Roll, that's, uh, that's saying something. So um, yeah, he was great for the sport. So the news of his terminal illness broke right around ACC media day. So a lot of the ACC coaches talked about uh, him glowingly, obviously, but there was very little talk of strategy and big wins. It was all how he treated them, how he treated them on the Nike trip. Like it was a reminder of that becomes your legacy a lot more than how many times you beat Miami. One thing about uh, Florida State was interesting. They that, that, that stadium... You talk about the front porch, right? They talk about football or athletics to be the front porch, and you're you're beaming this image across the country of what Florida State is, and it looks so much fun, right? It's sun splashed, and the crowd's crazy, and it looks fantastic, and lots of kids think it's sitting on the beach, and then you go and visit. <laughs> no offense to Tallahassee, but it is not on the beach, and it sure ain't Miami. 
<laughs> it's not it's not quite what you might expect of a Florida state. You're like, wait, what? This is this is the old South. That's what it was. And it's yeah. And so, yeah, you get to the beach, but it's not not that close. Um, but he, he made it so much fun. Everyone thought it's FSU, man. Right. Yeah. Um, and it is a fun place to go to school. There's no question about that. Rest in peace, Coach Bowden. I don't call too many of them coach, but he he earned it. Uh, really was a just a transformer. And it, his rivalry with Spurrier, his rivalry with Miami, really made f- football in the state of Florida matter. Yeah, uh, I mean that was around. the capital of football for a good Long decade, time. and then he was a huge part of that. Um, all right, moving on. The latest in expansion talk. We have some reports from the the vaunted Pac-12, Big 12 sit-down meeting. You know, will they merge? Will they have a a scheduling alliance? What will they do? This is from The Athletic. Commissioner Bowlesby came back. That's the Big 12, came back. They sense of cautious optimism and assured that the meeting went well, of course. Of course. Uh, Never been a meeting that didn't go well. No. Well, maybe that one with, with the, when Texas and Oklahoma didn't even show up. <laughs> <laughs> Even then, we were focused on the future. Nobody, not anybody, was c- complaining. Right. Unify. They did the two. The two <laughs> commissioners did talk about concepts of a scheduling alliance, merger, and potentially creative solutions to working together. Again, nothing. I don't know what how that works. I don't know if the scheduling alliance makes any sense. I don't know if a merger makes any sense. But at least, um, pretty much what we expected. Sounds yeah. sounds exciting. But when you get down the nitty gritty, what's the Pac-12 got? What is the Pac-12 gaining out of this? Uh, my big question is, does the Big 12, they're going to wait this out, but at what point do they say, we need to grab Houston? We need, you know, do we double down on Texas? Do we, do we have to grab a couple teams to make this alliance better or not? I imagine the Pac-12 teams want to work the, the Texas schools, but there's only three of them right now. So if you want to have a scheduling alliance with the, with the Big 12, you get three Texas games and then you get five others. And that's not the others are not anywhere you want to be playing if you're looking to recruit college football players. So you know, I can imagine the you know the conversation beginning with Bullsby saying, "Look, I need to look like I'm doing something, and you need to look like you're getting plugged into the landscape of college football, George." So you know that's when it's like when they have those summit meetings. You know, when the president of the United States sits in some chair next to the premier of China or whatever, and you know, are they actually saying anything to each other? Or is this purely, you know, photo op uh, business here? So, I, I mean, I still think that there could be some beneficial elements to a scheduling alliance. But if I'm George Kliakoff in this, I'm probably looking at the Big 12 and saying, we can do more for you than you can do for us. And we should probably be talking to the Big 10 if we want a scheduling alliance or someone else. So, uh, you know, the Big 12 continues to be in a world of hurt here, and I don't, I don't know what their best solution is for, for improving their standing. So scheduling alliance, there's an undertone of equity there, right? Like both, part, both sides have to bring something to the table. So the only alliance that makes any sense is the ACC and the Pac-12 saying, hey, we're three and four in this whole deal. We're behind in money. The ACC is going to be motivated to get out of the terrible ESPN deal that's sort of slowly strangling. So that would make sense to align at that point because you could say, okay, you have USC, we have Clemson. You have UCLA, we have Florida State, like, et cetera. You can kind of go through and mix and match a little bit. You have to go through a few Pac-12 programs before you start mixing and matching because the, the problem of the leftover eight is that 
there's no easy answer to who is the best program remaining. Like there's no, right. there's no financial bell cow. There's no national title contender. So if, the, if alliance is going to happen and there's equity involved, meaning equal footing, I don't see it. I don't see that. But I could see there being a, a merging of interest from the ACC at some point in the Pac-12 at some point. That makes a lot more sense to me. Now, what would that actually look like? I mean, it would be a geographic mess. You're not playing volleyball in the thing, but it would be, let's put all of our rights together and see what we can come up with financially. As for the Big 12, I would just do the Albanian plan of grand domination, right? Don't get <laughs> caught weak. Go to 16. Go to 16 and get every big market remaining and grow. Cincinnati, yeah. South Florida, Central Florida, Houston, BYU for streams, Boise, San Diego State, and I would take Colorado State. They have the facilities, they have the market, um, and there's a, a strong history there. Go to 16, good, go good, play good on breweries. Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. <laughs> Very good breweries. Yes, good breweries, those matter, those matter a lot. Play on goofy weeknights and use the plan that Louisville used to, to rock it up from Conference USA to the ACC, that Utah used to go from the Mountain West. To, like, like, get good, solid programs in big markets, build, do a short TV deal, grow. Hope Cincinnati keeps like a, the rocket ship it's going now. Hope they keep Luke Fickle. Give them a little more money to invest. And then five years from now, you have a decent little lead. Albania forever. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Now, the problem is this. If you are West Virginia, if you are Baylor, you are going to go from almost $40 million a year by the end of this Big 12 deal in TV money and league revenues down to somewhere around $15 million. And that is just like a cliff to fall off financially. That's a lot of lives affected. And so all of a sudden, if you're going to go bigger, there's going to maybe be less money because you have to split the pie up a little tighter. And that's going to be really hard to do when you've already lost a huge chunk of the pie. So when I've run that idea by big 12 folks, they're just like, they're glazed over because they're like, oh, wait a minute. I, I, I got I to gotta worry about like paying my compliance officers and my assistant coaches. Yeah. And yeah. So anyway, that, just no, no compliance officer either. That's the route to go. <laughs> yeah, Save your money on firing the compliance staff. Yeah, Let's do this. Well, Kansas office. pretty much had done that. I mean, they had some people <laughs> yeah. there, but they were. Uh, Stop yeah. paying players to leave. But so that's, yeah. So here's the, the dilemma. Yeah. <laughs> Stop having your compliance director do under the table payments. Yeah. Maybe if we yeah, sue Jim Gatto, leave. we can just supplement our compliance staff Heck, that way. Gatto, Gatto goes as a mill. Where's that? They got to pay out. <laughs> but like, that's the dilemma. Like if you're Baylor in West Virginia and your stuff, you're like, well, I don't want to do that. I want to try to get in the ACC or I want to try to go somewhere else. But then, yeah, you're probably going to find out you don't have the marketability for that. And so you're probably going to be forced to swallow a bitter pill of what you're going to accept here. But those schools don't want to accept it. They want to all believe that they can latch on in another conference and they're going to be trying all those things instead of perhaps putting all their oars in the water and rowing together. They're saying they are, and certainly they will in terms of trying to make Texas and OU stay within the conference and hold their feet to the fire and get their exit money. But on the you know on the outside, they're also checking in with everybody else to say, "Hey, you got room for us or not?" Here, here's the one thing that you know I think is going to be interesting. So you have 65 Power Five teams right now. 
and you have 85 scholarship players. It's 5,500, 5,525, I think, of uh, players. About 5,500 high major college football players. When you whack out some of the teams, there's still 5,500 high major football players out there. Mm -hmm. Now, some of them are more high major than others. Uh, We're not sure the... Sorry to pick on you again, Jayhawks, but the Jayhawk <laughs> roster is exactly high major. But like if you go to 40 good teams, well, there's still these guys left like they have to go somewhere. Yeah, it's not like there are good football players and yeah. not every player is going to say, well, I'm I'm going to automatically go and be the last recruiting class at Wake Forest because that's ACC. I'm going to move all the way from Texas to there when I can still play a TCU and all that. So the one thing that the money is finite, but the players kind of aren't, there's still going to be a surplus of players. So Great the key point. to me is, is being able to market yourself as still the fifth best conference Yeah, that, that you're not pro because the number one reason a kid chooses a school is, is conference affiliation. Like if, if you're not in a, you're not at proximity to talent is a huge thing, but like, there's a reason Florida International doesn't get a ton of players. They're not in the right league. So kids will say, well, I can't go there. That's not big time football. You have to at least look like you're playing big time football because all those Texas kids aren't going to want to just leave the state of Texas. They want to play in Texas and you're going to have a lot of good players. So as long as you figure out how to keep your talent, you should have a pretty good team. I, I don't know how you'll ever get to 40 million again. You're not. But that to me is a big thing. And you can't let the AAC somehow be like, we're the fifth best league and you're the sixth best league now, because that really would hurt recruiting, particularly at the schools that are not surrounded by talent. Iowa State, Kansas State, Kansas, West Virginia kind of is, even though they don't have in-state, but there's a ton of players in Ohio and Pennsylvania that they they recruit well. But if, if like if if West Virginia is not perceived as Hey, I can't go to Ohio State or Penn State, but West Virginia's pretty good. If that's not perceived as pretty good, they're in a, a world of hurt. More than the fifth, the more than the money. Um, yeah, you have to cut some people in your athletic department. And you're not going to be able to pay every coach down the line. You might have to cut some teams, but you still get players. You still have a good team. So I think that's going to be a, a very big battle of who's fifth and who can who can get a a, a lion's share of their of their talent cuz that's why K State can go anywhere and say hey, hey we're we're power 5 and some kid goes I'll take a look at you yeah recruiting perception is just going to be huge off of this and, and how much does it get hurt that, that you're right that that's probably a, an even bigger factor than whether you can afford a waterfall in your locker room all right we don't have much time left i, I want to get into this briefly because it, it it ties into the Olympics a little bit. Uh, you remember the poll we did? Uh, we we talked about uh, Americans' perception of whether they could uh, f- win a fight with an yes. animal. Yes, <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> and it was both shocking in our our absolute overconfidence and our complete wimpdom. That was uh, for one of example, our segments, frankly. Yeah. For example, this is a YouGov poll. Also, the people at YouGov. Now that Trump's out, have nothing to poll. Okay, I think they just used to just poll. Whether do you like Trump now? Do you like him? No, no. Every ten minutes, now they got nothing. So they're asked Americans, you know, could you defeat a house cat in a fight? A house cat, and incredibly, only sixty nine percent of Americans thought they could beat a house cat in a fight. Now we, 
what was undetermined was what is the requisite of the win? What is the victory? Yeah. Is like go to the cards, UFC, three rounds, five minutes, championship about <laughs> five rounds, or, you know, do you have to kill them? Whatever. Yeah. But I, I, I really feel if it's a fight to the death, I'm going to defeat the house cat. I will kill the house cat in a fight. <laughs> I don't know how you're only 69%. But at the same time, 6% of Americans thought they could defeat a grizzly bear in a fight. <laughs> On its on its hind legs, the grizzly bear can be ten feet tall, five hundred and eighty five pounds. Its hand, you will be decapitated in the first punch. They don't jab, baby. There's no jab. They're not no setting up the no feeling out process in that fight. No, no. This isn't the, this isn't uh, you know the shoulder roll defense of Floyd Mayweather. They just swing. Your head will be off your body in one punch. Six percent of you will not win that fight, but that's what we have. Okay, so I'm I'm kind of disgusted on both ends of the spectrum in America. But to make this international, YouGov truly bored. What does this have to do with the gov? I don't. I, what is this? That was our point to begin with. Yes. Why is the government involved in this polling? If they are, I don't think it's an official government. But why YouGov? YouGov decided to poll uh, residents of Great Britain on this. Mm, okay. okay, so I don't know if you have any information. Do you think the people of Great Britain are 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 tougher than us in their sense of what they can defeat or bigger wimps? Bigger wimps. That would be my guess. See, I, I'm, I'm with the tea drinkers. I, I think they're bolder. Re, re, or more realistic. I guess it depends how you want to do this. They are both more realistic and bigger wimps. Okay. So like only 66, 66% believe they can they could defeat a house cat in a fight. One third of people in Great Britain do not think they could defeat a house cat in a fight. You think some people just didn't want to fight the cat? That's like maybe, but like uh, even if even if it's not to the point where you have to kill the cat, here's what you do: grab it and throw it outside. It can't get back in. You win the fight. Close the door. Yeah, yeah. Close the door. It's um, over. All it says is you're not. You are unarmed. Mm -hmm. I mean, a rat. Could you defeat the rat in a fight? I don't want to fight a rat. But I, no. I would I would defeat the rat if I had to. It'd be hard. I to would catch just it. yes. I'd put on heavy shoes and I'd stomp on it, and that would be yeah, that, right? Only forty five percent of 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 Brit the Brits think they could defeat a goose in a fight. A goose. Sixty one percent for the Americans. Geese can be mean. Eighteen percent think they could defeat an eagle. Thirty uh, percent <laughs> of Americans. Large dog only thirteen percent. Twenty three percent for the Americans. Depends was a pit bull. I don't. Uh, America. Yeah. Um, land of the optimistic, but life. then they, they quickly, they quickly get like only 4% think they could beat a wolf. Only 5% a kangaroo. Americans are 14% think they could defeat the kangaroo. They no, you're not defeating a kangaroo. In a <laughs> the fight. kangaroo, the kangaroo would exact a bloody penalty. That's for sure. 8% of Americans think they could defeat a gorilla. <laughs> Come on. They're as wrong as that about that as they're about the grizzly. <laughs> 8% think they could defeat a lion okay. and 8% think they could defeat an elephant. Wait, what? You're going to punch the elephant? You're going to kick the elephant? What? <laughs> what? Have you even been to the zoo? Have you been to a circus? Uh, My favorite what? part of this is that it's like, okay, so you get the total clown guy. Yeah, I could beat a, oh, I beat a gorilla. Yeah, <laughs> I beat, a, yeah, I'll beat a lion. Yeah, I'll beat. And then they go grizzly bear. Nah, 2% said, nah, that's where I check out. Like what, so at they, that point, don't you just go all in? Say, yeah, I beat them all. <laughs> Why? What? What is? Who are those two percent that go? Now you're getting ridiculous, you gov. 
Uh, the Brits, 2% on all of those. Only 2% what? of the Brits think they could defeat an elephant, a grizzly bear, a lion, or a gorilla. Do they even have grizzly bears in Britain? They probably don't. So they don't even know what they're up against there. Yeah, we should be We should be the 2%. We should absolutely be the 2%. Yeah. Uh, anyway, in the spirit of the Olympics. Um, <laughs> there you go. Could make this an Olympic event. I mean, breakdancing is going to be an event the next Olympics. We could at least oh. have grizzly bear versus human. <laughs> well, Pat would be I, the I color guy. Nobody's, at the, nobody's at the more qualified venue. to analyze human versus animal fights than Pat Forty. Like nobody Pat is good at it. Nobody goes to the depth and has the creativity. So is it in, like in an American grizzly bear versus like a Russian boxer or something? Like, does is the bear on our team too? Does the bear get the gold <laughs> well, medal if I mean, it wins? I don't think oh, the bears are probably on our team, but they might be on Canada's team too. You know, probably they might have more of them. I don't know. We're not. That would be. It would be politically incorrect to have like an American grizzly fight a Russian grizzly, right? Would that be kind of? We can't <laughs> do that. It's like Michael Vick kind of thing. I don't think that. We can't have the animals fight. Have an so underground bear fighting ring. It's yeah. <laughs> actually terrible. Time to end the podcast. <laughs> so it's got to be against a human. If you want to fight a grizzly bear, good luck to you. Go for it. I don't think the grizzly is going to be too worried. They probably have grizzlies in Russia, don't they? I mean, they probably could get I'm across sure. the Bering Sea over there, you know, from Sarah Palin's sure. place where she can see Russia. And, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure they got grizzlies. Didn't think we'd get a Sarah Palin uh, seeing Russia from her porch reference <laughs> on the pod today. Didn't see that. Yeah. You never know. From Anthony all. Brown to Sarah Palin, we cover <laughs> a lot of ground. You Podcast is over. Please leave us a nice review. <laughs> Call. <laughs> Keep subscribing. Be back later this week. Less jet lagged. <laughs>